We'll be preaching this morning from Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. For those of you who may not have been here last week, uh, i just simply announced that throughout the summer months, we'll be taking another look at some old stories. And what we'll be doing is going through the parables of Jesus, perhaps not all of them. There's more than a dozen. There's about a dozen Sundays in summer. Uh, summertime's a busy time. A lot of people are out of town. You're busy through the week, but you made the effort to come to church. And since summertime is such a busy time and you're coming to church, uh, my uh, intent would be to maybe keep things a little bit more interesting because I hope that we try to keep things interesting all the time as far as the, the sermon content. But uh, I'd like to try to keep it interesting that we'll be looking at these old stories uh, and of course, before uh, we get into the sermon, while you're turning, a couple of things happening this afternoon. Uh, there's an ordination service at College View Baptist Church at 2.30 for Will McGee, young man who came through the ABS. He's now their associate pastor. If any of our ordained brethren would like to go to that ordination service, they'd love to have you there. Uh, that's at 2.30. Also, if you're not planning to go up there, uh, Homecoming at Hepzibah, otherwise known as Second Sunday in June, is this afternoon. They are having it this afternoon. There'll be some music and fellowship and get to see the folks there. So uh, if you got, uh, would like to go see them this afternoon. Also, this is for the guys. I know I got some retired men that may be interested in this. Friday afternoon, 2 o'clock, I've been asked to meet with the men at Dudney Wood. Uh, how many residents are at Dudney Wood? <clears throat> A few dozen, there's five men in that building. And the whole building filled with, uh, with women, dozens of women. So there's five men, and they would like to do something special for the men, kind of particular. So they've asked me to come and have coffee and pie with them at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. And just, uh, she said, you can just talk to them about something. I said, well, that's not a problem. I can talk to them about something. <clears throat> but we're going to try to get together something special for the guys there at Dudney Wood. And uh, they love to see other faces. So some of you guys, if you'd like to go with me, uh, 2 o'clock Friday afternoon there at Dudney Wood. Now, I'm aware of the fact as we looked in the bulletin, you may not have noticed this, but I did write off. But there's nothing we could do about the conflict uh, of uh, schedules. The fish fry for the fire departments on the same night as the closing program for Bible school, which usually is about 630 and I know that the people that are involved in Bible school will be totally, of course, immersed that whole evening. So I'm aware of the fact a lot of people can't get tickets and so forth. Some of you are not involved in Bible school, going to be coming to the closing program. You still got a little bit of time. These things just happen. It was not intentional, but some, there's so much going on in the summer. Uh, but uh, appreciate your support for the fire department. If you're interested in going, uh, you can uh, get a ticket from some of us. By all means, please uh, help us out with the Vacation Bible School. This is a big time. A lot of kids learn about Jesus and have fond memories and are anchored to the Lord through a lot of good memories for Bible school. So if you can help out, we still have some places for you to serve for Vacation Bible School. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? <clears throat> Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? 
And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for the parables. We thank you for these stories that put things in the perspective for us so we can understand it. Help us to understand the message you have for us today. You know where we are. You know what we are. And we ask that you would just challenge us where we need to be challenged. Comfort where comfort is needed. But we know your word can apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Three more parables. These are actually parables, although they're only a couple of sentences long each. We have three parables here. And they deal with several issues that we'll look at. And in each of these issues, there's a spiritual lesson. First of all is the issue of fasting. A lot of people have some questions about fasting. But as we look here, the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why don't we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast Well, the key here is, why do we fast often and you don't fast at all? There was only one prescribed fast in the Old Testament law. Jews only had one fast that God told them to to, uh, obey and to observe, and that's the Day of Atonement. That's found in Leviticus chapter 16. The only one fast. And this is a sincere question by John the Baptist disciples. John the Baptist fasted. John the Baptist, of course, came on the scene calling Israel to repent. And throughout the history of Israel, repentance was accompanied by fasting. Fasting was an accompanying sign of true repentance. Also, fasting came along with prayer. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, he says, This kind of faith and this kind of action does not come by anything but prayer and fasting. Fasting also came in mourning. People regularly fasted when they mourned. Now, John the Baptist and his disciples fasted because his message was one of repentance, and his message was one of sincere prayer for the nation for the coming of the Messiah. And so therefore, it was quite appropriate for them to fast and to fast often. So this was a sincere question from John the Baptist's disciples. However, we want to mention that there was an insincere practice concerning fasting. You see, John the Baptist and his disciples had a specific reason to fast. There was an accompanying prayer and repentance involved. However, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they fasted two days a week, Monday and Thursday, every week. 
And you see, this was a litmus test of your true spirituality. And they would make sure to see if you were fasting or not. And this in turn just developed into not just a practice that where we were just going through the motion, but it was an insincere practice. Jesus pointed it out in the book of Matthew chapter 6, about one page back from where you are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that you do not appear to men to be fasting. So, but to your Father who is in secret, Place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The insincere practice was this. The, the hypocrites, and we know who the hypocrites are because Jesus repeatedly sees scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. So what he was saying indirectly was the religious leadership had turned this into a circus. They turned it into a hypocritical practice because what they would do is they would make sure that they messed their hair up. And he said they disfigured their faces. This doesn't mean that they were scowling. They would actually put white powder on their face so it looked like they were pale from fasting. Now, did I mention they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays? Those were the market days. That's when everybody was uptown. So they would make sure that they went uptown and they would mess their hair up and they would disfigure their face and they would put white powder on their face to make sure they looked pale because they were fasting. And here's the key part of it. You know how long the fast lasted? From dawn till dusk. One day. One daylight hours. Who gets pale from fasting? Sometimes we fast and we didn't even mean to. We're just too busy to eat through the day. Sometimes that happens. But it was an insincere practice. And Jesus called them out on the market days. Now, the Pharisees also criticized Jesus for not fasting. And in an indirect way, he calls them out specifically on this practice. Turn a few pages back in Matthew to chapter 11, verse 16. Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. But what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their companions, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, and you did not lament. John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. Wisdom is justified by our children. Now, we remember it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that criticized uh, Jesus, and this is back in Matthew chapter 9, because he was in Matthew Levi's house, and they said, look at him. 
Just look at him. He's eating with the tax collectors and sinners. So we know Jesus is calling them out. And he says, John the Baptist came and he fasted. And you criticized him for that. I came and I don't fast. And you criticize me for that. I'm going to tell you what you're like. You're like the kids who play where? In the marketplace. Now, where do they like to make sure people saw them when they were fasting? In the marketplace. And he said, you're like kids that said, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. Kids would play two things sometimes. They would play weddings and funerals. We played the flute for you like a wedding. You didn't want to play. You're not celebrating. We played a dirge for you, and you didn't play with us on, the, on what our funeral game. He says, you're just like kids in the marketplace. There's just no pleasing them because when your life is not in tune with God, nothing will make you happy. And that's exactly what was going on with the Pharisees. So he calls them out. And then he gets the parable. He says this, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. Here's the parable. And it's a practice that you have to understand about the Jewish way of life and is totally different than our way of life here. What he's talking about is a big Jewish wedding. And at a big Jewish wedding, the couple would get married. They didn't throw rice on them and send them away to a honeymoon. Oh, no, no, no. What they did was this. At a big Jewish wedding, instead of the couple going away for the honeymoon, they would have an open house in their home and invite everybody to come, specifically the friends of the bridegroom. Now think about that, young ladies. Think about it. Instead of going on a honeymoon, you're having to host for three or four days a big feast in your house with the groomsmen. Now there's an interesting dynamic between brides and groomsmen. Now if you just go to weddings, you don't see this. But when you perform weddings, oh, you see it. You see it almost every wedding. Here's where it starts. Rehearsal time. Rehearsal time, we're all ready for rehearsal. Now, I'm, I found this out. Brides take the wedding very seriously. The wedding with everything that's planned, the music, all the decorations, they take that very seriously. Now, they are here ready to be serious about this rehearsal. Now, the rehearsal schedule for 6 o'clock. Everybody's here but one or two groomsmen. One or two groomsmen. And there's wondering around, where's Chuck? Where's, where's, where's Steve? Well, we're waiting. We can't start without groomsmen because hard enough for them to know where to stand anyway. And, and, and they've got to be here. Well, the little bride's sitting over here. And the groom over here, he's just pretty happy to be here, you know. And he's just waiting on his buddies to come. Well, she's got smoke coming out of her ears at this time because she... Now, and inevitably, 15 or 20 minutes late, here comes a groomsman, and he got a big grin on his face. And then they got to go over there and talk a little bit. I mean, can you imagine ladies having the groomsmen in your house for three or four days? But that's what they did. The friends, I think the King James says, children of the bridegroom, that means the friends, because 
Children of something in the Jewish language is whatever you're wrapped up with. The children of wrath, children of disobedience, children of bribery. That's his buddies, man. So you'd have this big open house, and it would be a huge feast. It would be a wonderful feast, and a lot of your friends came over, but the ones who hung around the longest, you guessed it, your favorites, the groomsmen. Now, here's what Jesus was saying. This is a big event. We don't think about a feast like they did because we have plenty of good food available to us. In the days of the time in which Jesus preached, most of the time people ate bread and maybe some other kind of vegetable. Rarely did they have meat, but on special occasions. And so when you had a feast, like a big wedding feast, that was not just the event of the year. That may be the best meal you ate in two years. And he says it's not appropriate when you're all together for the wedding feast for the groomsmen to come and say, I, I'm not going to eat because I'm fasting today. Not only would that be not really smart, but that would be totally an insult to people who paid a lot of big money to make sure you had plenty of food. And we prepared for you. Then you come strolling in and telling us you're going to be fasting. He said, nobody does that. He said, the bridegroom is here. And he was referring to himself. And we'll rejoice and we'll celebrate. Because you see, John the Baptist fasted in repentance and prayer for the coming of the bridegroom. But the bridegroom is here, so now it's time for the feast. And so he said it would be totally inappropriate for now for my guys to be fasting two days a week because you know what? They are the friends of the bridegroom. Then he does an unexpected twist. Did you catch that? He said... Days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now we're departing from the usual parable. That was a twist. Everybody should have caught this. Because here's how it happens. I'm a groomsman. I'm partying at the home of the bride and the groom. Now, when the feast ends, I'm the one that leaves. He didn't say that. When the groomsmen leave, then the, the feast is over. He said this, days will come when the bridegroom's taken away. You see, that's totally foreign to any thought about the typical Jewish feast. What's he talking about? He's talking about his own crucifixion and his own taken up into heaven. I'm not sure if anybody caught that. But Jesus, even in this parable, is reminding us there's going to be a price paid so that we can rejoice. There will be mourning then, but the bridegroom is with us. Then we have another parable, the issue of proper fabric care. Now, he says this, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Now the actual word in some of your other English translations, including the King James, says a new patch on an old garment. That's really a better word, but the translators thought we would not know what the problem was, so they put unshrunk. Because you only had natural made fibers. This was in the days before bulletproof polyester. I mean, we had just 
wool and linen made out of flax. Now, any natural fiber, if after it's woven, before it's washed, that's not the size it's going to be. You've got to wash it, and it starts shrinking. And it may take two or three washings before it's shrunk. And what Jesus was saying, you don't take a brand new patch and you put it on an old garment. Because what's going to happen is that brand new patch is going to shrink and then you look ridiculous because the garment looks worse than before. Now what's the application? Jesus is talking about the coming of the bridegroom. And the application is Jesus did not come simply to put a patch on our lives. Jesus came so that we would, he would renew the whole person inside and out. And see, the problem is, if we intend that we're going to just use Jesus as a patch on our old lives and not sincerely trust him to make the whole life new, we're headed for trouble. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That was the intent of Jesus Christ, to make us a whole new creature. Not just simply to put a band-aid or a patch on the old creature. Again, in Ephesians, just a few pages over toward the back of the book from where you are, chapter 4, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, according to your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you catch that? You put off the old garment... Don't try to patch it up. And you put on the new man. And Colossians, that new man, he said, is renewed after the image of him who loved us. Looks like Jesus. What he's saying is this. It is totally futile to try to put a patch on our old life. It is insufficient. Now, let me tell you. It'll look good for a while. Now, like this garment, you could put a new patch on an old garment it's going to look okay for a while. 
But in time, as it gets wet, as you wash it, time will reveal there are major problems with the old garment. If all we're wanting to do is just put a patch on, I think I'll start going to church for a while. I think I might even join the church, but we have not dealt with Jesus Christ and actually trusted him for salvation and become a whole new creature. The patch is not going to work. The patch is just going to make things worse because as long as we have the patch on, we think we're okay. We're not okay. It's not just a matter of just coming to church for a while or turning over a new leaf or, or all these things that we might think we, we've got to do a little bit better on. That's a good thing to do. But Jesus said, you don't just put a patch on an old garment. He said, you need a new garment. But fortunately, Jesus Christ came so that could happen. If any man be in Christ, all things are become new. The old things are passed away. And it's speaking of just folding up an old garment and putting on something brand new, which is Jesus Christ. And we're new, not only the garment we wear, so to speak, from the inside out we're new. We're a totally new creation in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. You don't just stick a patch on your life. You've got to make sure that you're new from the inside out. And the third parable is the issue of growth. But you know, I'm going to cover that tonight. So to get all three parables, you're going to make your church tonight. I'm going to come back tonight. And if we think we might know where this is headed, there's a twist here about Jesus before you predict where he's headed with the general gist of this parable. So I want you to come back tonight. So I'm just going to take these two this morning for time constraints. So we have plenty of time for you to do business with God. Maybe you're here and you say, that's me. I've just tried to put a patch on my life. I've just tried to cover some things up. I've never really gotten down to doing business with Jesus about my sin. I've never really trusted him and become a new creature. We have time today for you to take care of that. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm kind of like those Pharisees. Nothing seems to make me happy. What's wrong? What's wrong? Jesus said, you like the kids in the marketplace. This doesn't suit you. That doesn't suit you. What's going on? What's going on? You see, the bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is with us. Jesus Christ can live in our heart. And when the bridegroom is with us, he said, it's time for the feast. It's time for the celebration. What's up? If nothing seems to satisfy and bring us joy, There's something going on in here we need to deal with. There's something you need to make right with God. Do it this morning as we stand and sing. Number 111.